It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. As the conflict between Israel and Hamas continues, we'll hear how it's affected mothers of newborns and ask what happens next. I'm Eleanor Shearwood. And I'm Lou Newton. The World in 10 brings you the big news stories of the day, explained and analysed by The Times of London. When we arrived in the office this morning, it was to news of more severe bombardments of Gaza overnight. The Hamas-run health ministry now says over 10,000 people have been killed there since the conflict began. All the major UN agencies have put out a rare joint statement saying enough is enough and issuing once again calls for a humanitarian ceasefire. The Times' is Anshul Pfeffer, who's reporting from Israel, says it might not be too long before that happens. Well, the dynamic here is one we've seen before when Israel goes in on the ground that's happened in 2009 and 2014. We saw that that Israel went in after various uh, Hamas objectives and after a couple of weeks, uh, international pressure. And mainly, let's be, let's be serious, it's not coming from the British government, it's coming from the United States, uh, will uh, kind of force Israel at some point to accept a ceasefire. We're so far 10 days into the ground offensive, so... I don't think it's going to happen quite yet, but Israeli generals I've spoken to do uh, realise that they probably don't have more than a, than a couple of weeks to finish what they're trying to do in Gaza City. So, so it looks like they're speeding things up before there'll be too much pressure to agree to a ceasefire. Touching on what Anshel mentions there at the end, it brings up the question of what happens after. What is Israel's endgame? He's been writing about this for The Times and says it's been a bit of a vague point for Israeli PM Benjamin Netanyahu, who, when asked, only said he didn't foresee a situation where Israel doesn't have overall security control in Gaza. So even if Israel retains that control, it doesn't set out a clear vision. For example, it leaves the question as to whether troops would stay on the ground. 
It's leaving Israel's generals guessing and struggling to plan out the next stages of the war. And it's dividing public opinion there too. According to some surveys, as many as 85% of Israelis support the efforts to destroy Hamas. But when it comes to after, opinions differ. Some on the far right want to turn the clock back and rebuild settlements in the Gaza Strip that were destroyed back in 2005, while the more centre-left idea would be to hand control back to the Palestinian Authority, which couldn't hold on to Gaza 16 years ago and wouldn't necessarily be well prepared to take over now. Well, Anshul suggests an international peacekeeping force might be needed in the interim, though that isn't something which seems to be materialising. Often it can be easy to be very analytical about a conflict that's on this scale, but The Times has been speaking to some of the people affected too, and we wanted to bring you this story of a woman who we're calling Sabrine. She's a mother of two three-month-old twins, born prematurely, and she's stuck 70 miles away from them. Sabrine had given birth at a specialised hospital in the West Bank, but she was forced to return to Gaza as her time allotted to be there by the Israelis had run out. And she was planning to travel back as soon as she could, but then Hamas attacked. She's been stuck away from her boys while they go through this. They went through some complications of prematurity. Their uh, body isn't uh, mature enough and they underwent complications, uh, respiratory-wise, cardiac-wise. They they go through infections and they need prolonged antibiotics. Some nurses call her uh, every once in a while and make sure she's fine. And last time was uh, the day before yesterday, we called her and uh, she was fine. Dr. Maysoon Ashab there. She worked at the hospital and says medically they prefer not to have anyone stay in too long and now they're left with little choice. Sabrine's twins are the only ones there alone. But other mothers who came from the Strip to give birth have been stranded from their family since the war broke out. There are among thousands of people from the Gaza Strip who are now trapped in the West Bank, living in fear. We've got Italian fashion and a unique insight into World War I coming up. But first, how relations between China and Australia are cooling slightly. Anthony Albanese, the Australian PMs, met China's President Xi, essentially trying to draw a line under years of diplomatic tension. And after this morning, he seemed to think it was going well. The engagement that I've had uh, with, uh, with China, with President Xi, have been positive. Uh, They have been constructive. Uh, He has never said anything to me that has not been uh, done. And and that's a a, a positive way that you have to start off dealing with people. And to quote Xi, this visit shows the great importance you attach to relations with China. I'm heartened to see that. This is an interesting relationship because China's Australia's biggest trading partner. But there have been bitter rows over things like Australia banning Huawei from its 5G network, Australia investigating the origins of COVID because of the Wuhan lab theory. And AUKUS, that agreement which means the US and Britain will give Australia nuclear submarines. Now, Albanese hasn't said that he explicitly trusts Xi yet either. He's actually said they're different nations with different interests. Climate change affects all sorts of businesses, from agriculture and energy companies to food and events. And now it's also being blamed for unsettling fashion retailers. 
Italy is often considered one of the world's most fashionable countries, so getting the newest pieces each season feels more essential. But with the country having just had an unusually hot autumn, the longer summers and later winters mean people are buying winter coats, for example, later in the year. The Times' Tom Kington is based in Rome, and he explained to us why that's a problem for Italy's clothing shops. Winter sales are regulated by laws, which means that generally, and this is decided every year by regional authorities, sales will kick off on or around January the 5th. And that's sort of set in stone. And any retailers who decide they're going to deviate from that risk being fined. The problem is climate change is playing havoc with the seasons. Italy has just come through a very hot autumn, very unusual. Retailers are saying, well, what's the point of having a winter sale if winter hasn't really started by January the 5th? So what we'd like to do, they say, is to put back the sales to February. However, They've got to then change the rules. And with the current rules still in place, it means clothing shops are losing money. What they're worried about is that if it just starts getting cold around Christmas, then people will go down to the sales and say, well, thank you very much. I'll have a 30% off that winter coat. But the retailers won't have had a chance to sell that winter coat at full price. And uh, yeah, shop owners are complaining at the moment that sales are down by something like 30% because everyone's wandering around in uh, T-shirts and not buying the woolen jumpers, which are um, filling the uh, displays in clothes shops. There are meetings going on right now between the major retailers associations and regional authorities. And we shall see. I think that the decision may be reached um, by the end of November. We'll end today's episode with a trip below the Western Front to caves where soldiers hid while fighting in the First World War. You'd think these would be dingy and dark, and you wouldn't be wrong, but these caves are also a real window into history. Exactly, because soldiers, while down there, did graffiti on the walls. It shows their true personalities, forgotten memories, even unsolved mysteries. David Crosland, he's written a book about this. It's called Whispering Walls, First World War Graffiti. He's also written in the Times about it, and he's been down there and told us what he's seen. The men would scribble their name, their rank, their service number, sometimes even their home address on the wall, or the name of a mate who had fallen, or they created portraits of their wife or girlfriend or the waitress they saw in a cafe the week before. A poem, sarcastic remark, and they used whatever they had, knives, bayonets or pencils, to copy the insignia of their regiment into the stone. What also struck me was how little hatred there was for the enemy, and how enemies even respected each other's graffiti when they took over caves. They would simply write their own graffiti next to it. Earl Leroy Lacey drew a pig, a horse and a chicken in an ink pen and Lacey drew these farm animals while he was waiting to go into action. He was thinking of home. He was killed in action a few months later. The worrying thing now is that these pieces of history are fading. Historians want them to have more money to better protect them, or even get UNESCO World Heritage status. If you want to see the images themselves, or read more of any of the stories you've heard today, head to thetimes.co.uk, and you can take out a digital subscription for more, including fantastic continued coverage of the Cricket World Cup. Or to read some extracts from a book written by the man who was there the day the Beatles broke up. Thanks for your time today. The top world stories in 10 with the Times of London. Imagine. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.